Everybody doing okay? Good, good, everyone's good. Good. So you probably didn't notice in that, in that video, um, Josh, who's one of our pastors out in Cannon County, um, he wears the same kind of mic as me, but he has a little like puffy ball thing on the end of it. It's because he secretly wants to be uh, Garth Brooks. And, and let me tell you why I say that. So this is a good story. Not really a good church story, but it's a good story. So um, a couple of years ago, it was uh, on Kyle's birthday, we rented out at Lanes, Trains, and Automobiles. They have like that um, little like, like private section where you can rent out like six lanes or whatever, and it's right by the bar, and no one comes back there, so you can kind of have like a private party or whatever. And so we rented out several lanes, and um, Brooker's a good singer and pastor, not, not a really good bowler, and so it was his turn to bowl, and I was frustrated because he had disappeared, so you know, no, one knew where, no, no one knew where Josh was, so I said, let me go find Josh. I want him to just bowl his turn so I can bowl my turn, and I go into the bar part of Lanes, Trains, and Automobiles, and he is singing karaoke, and he is singing, um, he's singing Friends in Low Places. And so I walk in the back and I'm, I'm just sitting here and, and, and he's a really good singer and he can sound like Garth Brooks when he wants to, but he's being real goofy. And he's, <laughs> he's singing Friends in Low Places and there's this table of legit kind of, you know, Garth Brooks fans that were very offended by this. These kind of like, I, I, I would dare say rednecks. But anyways, they, they were sitting at this table and I could hear them talking about how they were going to um, do harmful things to the guy making fun of, of Garth Brooks up there. So I'm sitting here and I'm like, we're gonna get in a bar fight tonight. Like, <laughs> it's Kyle's birthday. I'm a pastor, he's a pastor. And we're gonna get, we're gonna get in a bar fight tonight. And, and someone is gonna know what we do for a living. And, and that's gonna get around. And, and that will be the end of us. So uh, luckily nothing happened. The guys never went after Brooker. Brooker never knew how close to death he got that night. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, that was fun. That, that has no relevance for anything we're talking about today. Probably shouldn't have talked about that story at all in church, but we're all good friends. So there we go. So <laughs> this week we're doing baptism. We, we do this a couple of times a year, and I thank you guys who have heard this lesson. God knows how many times. I thank you so much for coming out because like Kyle always prays, it is an extremely important thing that we do. This, this is, baptism is one of the most visible things that the church can do to see that we are actually making an impact on our community. Because baptism is, is biblically, and I'm gonna talk about this today, is the symbolic thing of people joining the family of God. So even if you've heard a lesson like this a hundred times, I, I still think it's important that we come out and celebrate the fact that, that new people are being added to the kingdom of God. That, that's the whole reason why the church exists, is to see this happen. And so this is a very, very important thing. So here's kind of my goal today. If you've never heard me teach on baptism, I have, I have two objectives. One, if you have been baptized, that, that's wonderful, but, but a lot of people have been baptized and they don't understand necessarily why they did that. So the first objective is, I hope to show you from the Bible why Christians go through this ceremony of baptism and why it's so important. My second objective is that if you have not been baptized, or maybe you're baptized at an age where it wasn't your personal decision, I hope to show you enough evidence from the Bible that you will, you will take this step today. Um, through these doors, we have clothes, we have towels, we have warm water, we have people to pray with you, get your information, we'll take care of everything for you. Um, but I hopefully wanna show you enough evidence from the Word of God that will uh, maybe push you in this direction to take this step, okay? 
If you don't come to this church, next week we'll be back in the book of Romans. Uh, we'll be in Romans chapter 13, so maybe the last time that I see about half the church because it's about government. So uh, that'll thin the hurt out a little bit. And um, there's no winning with that chapter from a pastor's point of view. So uh, uh, I'm actually looking forward to teaching it, but we'll be, in, we'll be in Romans chapter 13. So anyways, let me pray for you guys. Let's get into today. Make sure you go say hi to our friends from Greenhouse Ministries. They are an absolutely amazing nonprofit organization. Uh, organization. Go back there and say hi to them, talk to them, and um, see how you can get involved with them. And um, I think that's it, okay? Should have notes, handouts, everything's on the app, everything's on the screens, so we should be in good shape, okay? Let's pray. Father, Lord, we love you. God, we thank you so much. Lord, these, uh, this is my family, God, and I thank you for that. Thank you, Lord, for the friends that I have in this room. I thank you, Lord, for how comfortable we can be and that we can laugh and joke, God, but we can also get serious and dive into your word, Lord. And, and thank you for a wonderful worship night Friday. Thank you, God, for uh, breaking up the storm at the exact right time, God, and it being wonderful weather during the time that the music was being played, God. We thank you for a city, Lord, that gives us the freedom to do that. Lord, we thank you for a nation that gives us the freedom to do what we're doing right now. We thank you, God. So keep your hand on us today, Lord. Keep your hand on our city, God, and the churches in our city, Lord. We love you, we thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you've never heard me talk about baptism, listen, baptism is not an overtly complicated thing. I need things in very simple terms. I don't know if there's any of you that need it in very simple terms, but here's the thing. We'll talk about the context of marriage a lot today. Biblically speaking, we are married to Jesus. We are the bride of Christ, the Bible says, if you're a Christian. So what baptism essentially is, is when, when we get baptized, we are taking on the identity of our husband. I always use the analogy of a wedding ring. That's what it's like. Here's my wedding ring. So this is not my marriage. It is symbolic of the fact that I am married to someone and that I am taken. My allegiance is to one person. Baptism is similar to the wedding ring, right? It is not our salvation or our relationship with Jesus but it is a physical representation of the fact that we have been saved by God's grace and that we are building a relationship with Jesus, that we have complete allegiance to our husband, if you will, okay? Pretty simple stuff. So what that means, though, is though it may be simple, it is a monumental thing for us to do. This is what essentially identifies us as belonging into the family of God. Of course, we have to live it out, we have to read, we have to pray, we have to be a part of a church, all that but it all kind of begins almost with this process. So this is a turning point. If you decide to make this step today, this should be one of those kind of milestones in your life that you should never forget, right? It is a huge turning point in the life of a Christian. It's a wonderful thing to experience. So let me give you some pieces of evidence. So if you're sitting in here today and you're like, I don't know, I believe in Jesus, but, but I don't know if I have to take this step. I wanna give you some evidence straight from the word of God that hopefully will kind of push you over that edge a little bit. The first piece of evidence may be the clearest piece of evidence, and that is simply that Jesus did this as well. He was baptized, so he sets the example for us. Now, here's the thing. If you buy a copy of this book, the Bible, and if you start reading through this, and if you start in the Old Testament, the way that, that God wanted humanity to deal with sin in the Old Testament was a lot different than how it is for us today. Thank you, God. What they had to do in the Old Testament is to deal with sin in order for, for humanity to be reconciled to God and deal with the sin in their lives. You had to get an animal, a sacrifice. You had to kill it. 
You had to pour blood on an altar. You would eat parts, burn parts, discard parts. It was a pretty arduous process. And what that did is it didn't completely alleviate your sin. It pushed it forward to the next year to where you had to do that sacrifice again. That's why when you're reading the New Testament and it says that Jesus took all the sins of the past, all of that sin had compounded to the point of Jesus when he came. And so what happens when Jesus came onto the scene, it was no longer about us doing all these ritualistic sacrifices. Jesus, he came to be the ultimate sacrifice, the end of all sacrifice, that he would shed his blood and that would permanently eradicate and erase the sins of the past, the present, and the future as long as we repent for those sins. So this started with a guy named John the Baptist. So if you get into the New Testament, the book of Matthew, before Jesus went out and started his ministry where he was teaching and healing and talking about the kingdom of God, he wanted to set the example for how we are supposed to live. So John the Baptist is out baptizing people. That's how you get the name the Baptist, right? So he's out there baptizing people. One day Jesus goes into the Jordan River and John knew who Jesus was. And Jesus says, John, I need you to baptize me. Imagine the creator of the universe saying, hey, I need you to do this for me, right? Do me a solid, John. And so John, no one laughed at the do me a solid thing. No one says that anymore. It's okay, it's cool. Anyways, John had probably the response that we would have. And John said, Jesus, I'm not, I'm not fit to baptize you. And this is Jesus's response. Jesus says, I need you to do this because this is the way that we fulfill righteousness now. What that translates to is, this is what God wants us to do now. This is the new process. So I love this. It's, John says he allowed it. Um, I think Jesus can do whatever he wants, but John said, okay, I'll do it now. And so John baptizes Jesus. Jesus comes up out of the water. It says the sky opened up, the Holy Spirit came down, and the voice of God said something very important when it comes to baptism. He said, this is my dearly loved son with whom I am pleased. He was pleased with Jesus because Jesus was obedient and did what he told him to do, right? So this is very important when it comes to baptism. So here's the thing. Jesus didn't have any sin to ask for forgiveness for. He, he didn't do anything wrong. So why did Jesus get baptized? The only answer for that is Jesus was setting the example for us. And what is really neat is this. Jesus this is a neat thing about Christianity. Jesus will not ask his followers to do anything that he hasn't already done first. So Christianity takes the standard of don't do what I say, do as I do. Follow my example, follow my model. We also see that baptism pleases God. And if we get baptized for no other reason, if it pleases our, our heavenly father and our husband, right? We should take these steps. So the first piece of evidence, very, very simple. Jesus got baptized. If we're followers of Jesus, we should do this too, right? Now, the second piece of evidence is a little bit more complicated, a little bit deeper. And what it is, is this. When we acknowledge who Jesus is and we start this relationship with Jesus, salvation is a process. A relationship is a process. And in this relationship with Jesus, we become more like Jesus. That's called sanctification. It's a fancy word for that, which means we become more into the image of God. We think like him, we speak like him, we act like him. We're getting closer to him. 
Now, in this process of building this relationship with God, there are different promises that this book has that start to get unleashed in our life. One of those promises actually has to do with baptism, and I'm gonna read it to you here in a second. But the promise is this, that if we ask God to forgive us of our sin, and if we are obedient in baptism, the Bible promises that the Holy Spirit of God will be activated in our life. Now, I'm gonna show you where that is in the scripture. So if, you're, if you bought one of these books, right? You've worked through the Old Testament. You're working through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which is about Jesus and the disciples. You get into the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is the birth of the church, what we're doing right now. Now, how the church is birthed is before Jesus died, and actually after Jesus' death too, Jesus told his followers to go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. They had no idea what that meant, but Jesus said to wait for it, so they're gonna go wait for it. So about 50 days after Jesus had been crucified, the followers of Jesus are in, an, they call it the upper room, they were in an, an apartment building in downtown Jerusalem that held quite a few people. They're up there praying, they're fasting, they're waiting on the Holy Spirit of God. One day, it says, the Holy Spirit comes into the room like a rushing mighty wind, fills everyone who is up there, says they started to speak languages that they should not have been able to speak. They pour out onto the streets of Jerusalem, and because all the festivals were going on, people from all over the world were passing by in downtown Jerusalem, and they heard the followers of Jesus speaking languages that they shouldn't have been able to speak, right? So they came up with the assumption, the people seeing this, that everyone must be drunk. Now, I've been around drunk people. I've never seen a drunk person just like speak fluent German because they're drunk or something, but that's, the, that's the, where they came to, right? Peter heard this. He was the leader of the Christians, right? Peter heard this, got in front of the crowd and said, they're not drunk. Guys, it's only 9 a.m. He had a, one of those eye sundial things on his wrist. Um, <laughs> they're not drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. And he said, let me tell you what's happening. Not only did our savior, Jesus Christ, tell us that this would happen, but Joel, the prophets of the old ages, right? Said that one day God would pour his spirit out on people. And Peter said, that's what you're seeing. And this is possible because Jesus, the son of God, died for our sins, rose again and poured out the Holy Spirit of God. Now, oddly enough, the crowd believed Peter. Must have been a big crowd. We'll see here in a second. But then the crowd looked at Peter and said, what do we do? How do we fix what we've done? And this is what Peter said, very important. Peter said, repent and be baptized, each one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you, it's for your kids, it's for a bunch of people who haven't even heard this yet, as many as God will allow. And it said that Peter continued to preach and he said, be saved from this corrupt generation, this blue part's important. And those that heard the gospel about Jesus Christ, who Jesus was, their response was baptism. And that day, 3,000 people got baptized. So Peter was talking to a lot of people. And so what we see is, is when we ask God to forgive us of our sins, when we're obedient in baptism, the Holy Spirit starts to work through us. We talked about this briefly last week in Romans 12 that we're not to be afraid of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit working through us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, just be educated. 
Know what the gifts of the Holy Spirit are. Know how to use them. Know why God wants you to have them. But here's what's interesting. The Holy Spirit working through us, producing the fruit and the gifts in us, baptism is connected to that because we're being obedient to God. Okay, another very easy thing that, that we pull from the Bible about baptism that's very, very easy to understand is Jesus simply tells us to baptize people. I don't know if anyone else in this room has like a natural rebellious streak to them. I'm a youngest child and it seems like that's something that a lot of us younger ones deal with. Um, I'm one of those kind of people when Stranger Things came out. I remember before it got super popular, Kyle caught me in the office and he goes, dude, there's a TV show that's like everything you want in a TV show. I even used to have a big crush on Winona Ryder back in the Heathers days. Any of you? Anyone? Anyone? Anyone else want to admit to this? Okay. It's all right. It's okay. It's between you and, and Jesus. Anyway, so... Um, Kyle came up to me and he said, you gotta watch this show. It's got aliens, it's 80s themed, right? And I'm like, that does sound good. But I was too busy and I never watched an episode of Stranger Things. And I'll tell you why. Because I waited so long that it got super popular and because I'm rebellious, I'm like, well, it's popular now. So I can't watch it. It's like when Coldplay got big. I loved Coldplay and they got popular and I told everyone I don't listen to Coldplay anymore even though I bought all their records. Like, I just didn't want you to know because I don't want to do what everyone else is doing. Now listen, that's okay when it comes to music and TV shows. The problem is if we call ourselves Christians, it doesn't matter if we understand everything about this book, it matters that we do what this book tells us to do. That is important. And so though I cannot explain everything in this book, it is imperative that we follow that book's direction. Now when we get into this book, in the book of Matthew, the last thing Jesus said to his church before he ascended into heaven was he told them to do three things. This is what every church should be doing. Make disciples, baptize them, and teach them everything that Jesus taught his disciples. And Jesus said, I will be with you to the end of the age. That's the Holy Spirit we were talking about. Jesus isn't with us physically, but Jesus is with us in spirit until he comes back physically. Make disciples, baptize teach. Jesus also says in the gospel of John, if you love me, you'll do what I tell you to do. So if Jesus directly told the church to baptize and we're not baptizing, I mean, two plus two equals four, right? If we say we love Jesus, but we don't do what he commands us to do, there's a problem there. It's pretty straightforward stuff. Maybe the neatest thing about baptism is this. Baptism is heavily symbolic. And what baptism is symbolic of is it is a new beginning. Let me get on this rant here for a second. I say this every single time I talk about baptism. There are a lot of Christians that use um, um, really bad theological terminology when they talk about themselves. What I mean by that is this. If you've been baptized, if you have repented of your sin and been baptized, there is no reason for you to continue to call yourself a broken, dirty sinner. You are not that. Biblically, I'm gonna show you here in a second. I'm gonna, I'm gonna back up my words on this. Whenever I hear Christians say, ah, oh, we're all just broken, dirty sinners, by what scripture do you pull that from? Because post your conversion and baptism, you are not the same that you were before that. Doesn't mean we're perfect, doesn't mean you're not gonna have struggles, but you are not identified as broken, dirty sinner. Jesus didn't shed his blood so you can stay the same after you get to know him. Anybody? Amen? Right? That's good. Cool. Thanks, Chuck. So the scripture says this. I know all of you guys are, are 
theological masters when it comes to the book of Romans so far, at least up to chapter 12. Let's go back and look at chapter six. Paul says this, are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we're buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from dead from the glory of the Father, we walk in a newness of life. It's not the same life that we used to live. Not perfect, but we are working towards the perfection that is Jesus Christ. We walk in a newness of life. Paul goes on to say, look at this. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, when you get baptized, that's going under the water, symbolic of being buried, you will also be identified with him in the likeness of his resurrection coming out of that water. Look at this. For we know that our old self is crucified. I'm just a dirty, rotten, broken sinner. Nope. The old self is crucified so that your body is no longer rendered, so sin is rendered powerless in your body, and we are no longer enslaved to that. Since a person who has died, that means baptized, is freed from sin's claims. This is what the scripture says. So if you were genuine when you got into the waters of baptism, you are not the same person. We're no longer slaves to those sinful lifestyles. We don't talk about this enough in church as we should. We can be delivered and we can be permanently set free of the bondage of sin. And we do not talk about that as much as we should. The whole point of Jesus saving us is he takes us off the road that leads to destruction and he puts us on the road that leads to life and liberty and freedom and perfection in him. That's the whole point of what we're doing today. That's why we need to change the terminology about how we talk about ourselves post-baptism. And that leads to another thing, that what we're talking about today is we're talking about taking on an identity. Now, here's the thing. If you choose to get baptized today, um, what we do at this church is, is, let's say you brought a friend and you have discipled them and they wanna get baptized. We don't wanna baptize them. We want you to baptize them, right? Because it's, it's more special that way. So a lot of people, when they baptize people for the first time, they get a little nervous and they're like, Corey, what do I say? And I'm like, there's, there's no magical formula to what you say. Pray for them, right? Um, we, we tell, if you don't know what to say, just speak Jesus's name over them. That name holds enough weight and power right? So you have nothing else to say. You can just say in the name of Jesus and they can be baptized. So here's the thing. It's not so much about what you and I say. It's about the heart of that individual that gets into that water. What is important though, is we want people to know why they are getting in that water. And we want them to know whose identity they are taking. They are taking on the identity of Jesus. Now, let me tell you why that's, that's so important to today is we live in a culture right now that is in a, it's in an identity crisis. We find our identity in everything other than the one thing that we are made in the image of. So this is what Paul said 2,000 years ago. Look how relevant this is. For those of you who are baptized into Christ, you've been clothed with Christ. You're not a Jew or a Greek. You're not a slave or a free. You're not man or, or, or woman. You're not male or female. You're a Christian. You're all one in Christ. And again, we live, I would say our biggest cultural problem right now is we try to find our identity in our gender or our sexual preference or how much money we have in the bank or if we're black or if we're white or if we're American or if we're Canadian or whatever the case may be. 
Now listen, there's nothing wrong with being proud of the fact that you're an African-American or that you're a strong woman or, or that you have a doctorate degree. There's nothing wrong with, with having a healthy pride about those things, your heritage, nothing wrong. But at the end of the day, it is Christ that dictates how we live if we are Christians. That's what we get to, right? So the last thing is this, and this is the question that people always ask, right? And, and I'll, I'll go ahead and be a spoiler alert. I'm not gonna answer this question. <laughs> do I have to do it to go to heaven? So let me tell you this. When you get into the Bible, we're, we're working our way kind of through the Bible a little bit today as we're, as we're talking. When you get into um, the book of Acts and beyond, most of the time, I'm not gonna say every single time, but almost every single time we read about someone coming into a saving faith about Jesus Christ, four things typically are recorded when someone becomes a believer. The first one is, of course, they believe. They are told who Jesus is. They believe that Jesus is everything he claimed to be, right? The second thing is, is once they have believed who Jesus is, when we start to understand who Jesus is, then we start to understand that we have wronged our creator. We have lived rebellious. We have done things selfishly. So what comes from that is, is we repent. I'm sorry, right? I'm sorry for what I've done. Not just saying we're sorry, but wanting to move away from doing evil things and move closer to doing the things Jesus wants to do. So we believe, we repent. And then what I call daily faith or saving faith. This means that every single day we trust Jesus. We have full allegiance to Jesus. I trust you with my marriage, my kids, my, my job, everything. Lord, Lord, I, I, I rely on you. I pray. I read the Bible. I have a church community. Kind of daily, everyday faith, right? And then the fourth thing that we almost always see when someone gives their life to, to Jesus in the Bible is they get baptized. Now, does this answer the question, do I have to be baptized to go to heaven? And I'm gonna go ahead and tell you, I think it is an absolutely terrible question. That's why I won't answer it. I refuse to answer it. Because it's the same thing. We've been talking about the context of marriage, right? We are the bride, he is the husband. Imagine if you and your wife get married, right? You get married, you put the rings on, you just got back from, from your honeymoon, you just got back from all this, you know, being with each other, being intimate together, spending all this time together. You get back home and your spouse looks at you and goes, okay, we got the rings, we signed the paper. Do we have to keep hanging out? Do we have to keep going out on dates? Do we have to talk every day? Do I have to give anything to you? See, a relationship is not a checklist. A relationship is trying to please your partner, right? Is trying to grow and get more intimate and deeper with that person. So here's my problem with Christianity in the United States. We have a tendency to go, do I have to go to church? Do I have to go to church? Do I, do I have to be baptized? Do I, do I have to give? Do I have to do these things, right? And I would say, well, before we get into the scripture about those things, do you really love Jesus if you're constantly asking what's the least you can do for him? See, there's a deeper heart issue there. So here's how I wanna challenge maybe all of you today and myself, not just in the context of baptism, but in our daily walk with Jesus. Do we find ourselves asking, what is the least I can do and still not go to hell? And if we find ourselves asking that, we may need to go back kind of to the source and, and, and build that foundation a little bit better. 
Because listen, here's the thing. And if you've never heard this today, you'll get to hear it today. If you are in this room and you at least have a rudimentary knowledge that Jesus Christ, whom the Bible says all things were created by him, through him, for him, which means he is the creator of the universe. He is God, Jesus. If we understand that God came to earth as flesh and bone, lived as a poor man on the outskirts of town, right? Was unlawfully arrested at 33, brutally beaten, violently murdered, hung on a piece of wood for nine hours. Why? Because you and I had done so much evil, we could never do anything to cover it up. But Jesus came to be the price, the payment. Now listen, if you understand that just a little bit this morning, and our first response is, do I have to? There's a huge problem. There's a huge problem. So in the context of baptism, I just wanna say to you, if you haven't done this, what in the world, what in the world would keep you from doing this? What in the world? As the Ethiopian man said to Philip, right? What keeps me from being baptized? And Philip said, nothing, <laughs> nothing at all. If you wanna do it, let's do it. So here's the thing this morning. If you've been baptized, good news. Every single one of us in this room has an opportunity to respond to the good news that I just told you about Jesus Christ dying for your sins. The first way is this. Up here on my right, your left, Pastor Carl right here. If you are in this room and you are not a believer, listen, I was not a believer until I was almost 23. My wife was 22. She was an atheist. I was agnostic, so I was a step better than she was. Anyways, <laughs> no. But we were once college graduates that didn't believe and had questions, and that's okay. If you're asking questions and you genu genuinely wanna know the answer, that's a great place to be. If you have questions, Pastor Carl is right here. He'd love to talk with you. We're not offended by questions. We're not afraid of questions. Please come up and talk to him. The second way you can respond today is what we've been talking about, baptism. If you're in this place and you have never been baptized or maybe you were not old enough to make that decision yourself, you can go right through these doors here in a moment. We got clothes for you. Uh, we'll get information. We have towels. We, everything is taken care of. The water is, is warm. Everything is good, right? And I, I give you my word, you will not regret this step. It'll be a blessing for you. I, I, we've baptized, man, probably four or 5,000 people in this church over the years, and I've never pulled anyone out of the water who was like, eh, it was all right. I mean, like, it's a, it's, it's a wonderful, monumental thing in your life, okay? And then the last way that every single one of us in this room can respond is we have communion. Everywhere where you see a lamp on a table all the way around the room, we have the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Now, I think sometimes we take this for granted. I know it's just matzo bread and juice, but it is symbolic of the fact that the God of the universe did everything that he did for us, that his body was broken, that his blood was shed. And what we have the opportunity to do this morning, <laughs> brothers, sisters, is in a, in a world that is so chaotic, there's so much noise, it is so fast paced, everyone's so much in a hurry, we can take five minutes in here we can sit for a second and we can say, Father, if there's any sin in my heart, please forgive me. And God, I just wanna tell you thank you. And you can sit still for a second. And you can take the body and you can take the blood and you can just feel some peace. I recommend, please don't, don't, don't hurry through that. Just take a couple of moments and be still, be still, okay? But you're invited to do that after I pray, okay? 
So let me pray for you guys. Father, Lord, we love you. God, we thank you so much for everyone who's in this place today. God, everyone who's watching at home. Lord, for everyone in this room that may have a question, God, give them the courage, Lord, to just come up and, and ask. You're not, they're not gonna offend us or offend you, God. Lord, anyone in this room that needs to get baptized, Father, we pray that they go to my left, their right, and that you would give them the courage, Lord, to take this step, God. They won't regret it, Lord. And God, for the rest of us, Lord, who are taking communion this morning, Father, don't let us ever forget how gracious you are, how loving you are, how kind you are, God. Don't let us ever forget the links that you've gone to for us. Lord, let us slow down and meditate on that this morning. God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. Pray blessings over everyone in this room, God. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you.